Today on the show, we're going to talk numbers. We're going to dive into the spreadsheets and look at the Seahawks salary cap situation. If some of you are concerned about some reporting out there, about lack of available payroll space heading into 2024, wondering how they can change that, what moves they can make to clear salary cap space, can they afford to keep Leonard Williams, Jordan Brooks, Damian Lewis if chosen? We're going to get into that with John Gilbert today from Field Goals, one of the best around at analyzing the Seahawks salary cap and hopefully put some of those worries to rest. Spoiler alert, some good news coming up next. We're going to talk salary cap today on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, in-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now here's your host, Dan Viennes. Fresh off a full day yesterday. Uh, thank you to all of you who tuned in to the three shows that we posted here on the channel yesterday. Um, a lot of great comments, a lot of great feedback, a lot of great debate on Twitter, at Seahawks Forever, if you don't follow me there. Uh, be sure to like this video, subscribe to the channel so you can get in on that too and never miss a new episode. And if you prefer audio episodes on whichever podcast platform you prefer, subscribe there for the same reasons. And if you want to listen to audio episodes without ads, you can do so on Spotify by subscribing for a monthly fee that right now is just 99 cents a month. That shouldn't affect your salary cap too much. And if you just want to support the show and you like what I do, you can buy me a coffee or a beer at buymeacoffee.com. Link is in the description. Uh, John Gilbert is the deputy editor over at Field Goals, um, one of the best Seahawk websites out there. And... Um, Love the guys over there. Certainly my affiliation with them uh, as a podcaster um, has contributed to the growth of this show and have had John on the show before. And what I like about what he does is he studies the numbers. He understands them. He understands the rules of how salary distribution works in the NFL. But he's also uh, has a gift for being able to explain that in layman's terms so that y'all can understand. And so um, that was my goal today is to just get a uh, sort of a 360 degree view and a picture of where the Seahawks stand now and how, uh, where can they get to in order to make some moves this offseason. And we're going to touch on all the things that you want. We're going to talk about Jamal Adams contract and what can be done with that. Um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Diggs. We're going to talk about Disley. And certainly we're going to talk about Geno Smith's unique contract. Um, what can be done with that and what advantages that contract structure gives the Seahawks as we move forward. So here's my interview earlier today with John Gilbert of Field Goals. Joining me now, John Gilbert, the salary cap guru from Field Goals, deputy editor over there as well. We've had you on the show before to talk about some rather mundane salary cap issues, but certainly those things have become a little bit more compelling in light of what's happened in the last 24 hours. John, thanks for coming back on the show. No, hey, thanks for having me. Always good to be here. Always good to talk ball. Always good to talk salary cap. Uh, you know, it's exciting for me to talk cap. I know it's boring for a lot of other people, but, uh, you know, <laughs> good to be here at any time. Off season, this is kind of my wheelhouse. So Indeed, uh, same. I feel a bit more energized by it there because you, you never know what's going to happen right it's just less repetitive it's less routine and no better example of that than yesterday we thought there might be a chance i think i had told someone the other day on twitter that i thought it was maybe a 30 to 70 chance that there still could be a move with carol I, i've been saying for about six weeks now that i it was time for change and i wanted change but i did not think it was going to happen this year 
And then they pushed the meeting, the end of the year meeting back a little bit. And then the news broke yesterday. What, what's your reaction to everything that's happened in the last 24 hours with Pete Carroll being removed as head coach of the Seahawks? You know, it's obviously anytime there's going to be a move like this, um, you know, even, I mean, if they had gone two and 15, it would still be a shock because it would still be holy cow. Yeah. The guy who took us to our Super Bowl, the guy who built the Legion of Boom, the guy who built the greatest era of football in Seahawks history is gone. You know, it's so anytime it's, it's always, you're always going to have that bandaid rip off, even if it's expected, um, it's still going to be big news, you know, and in, you know, in this case, it was, you know, they finished on a high note, they beat the Cardinals, they finished with a winning record. You know, so there was a lot of, I know there was a lot of speculation that, okay, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. You know, I'd been kind of, you know, along the lines with you which, since November, when they went on that losing streak, when they lost four in a row, when they lost five of six, I was kind of, you know, I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, I had yeah. other, you know, messaging with people, you know, saying, look, I, I think he's done. I think they've, you know, probably have told him that he's either done or it's going to be, you know, the writing is on the wall. Then Sunday morning, we get the report from NFL.com that, you know, his con he's only under contract for 2024. The 2025 is an option year. Yeah. And that's not the kind of thing that leaks. If they're planning on picking up that option, he's under contract for 2025. It's, it's the kind of thing that comes out when you're almost at the end of the line. And, you know, obviously you, they got the win on Sunday. They came out, they beat the Cardinals. Um, you know, but then even there was the question asked yesterday during the press conference, you know, does a win in Arizona change things? Does, you know, or does a, does a, excuse me, does a win by the Bears change things? And Pete said, not today, no. You know, it's, this was, this was coming. This was not something that, you know, was made happen over the past week or two. This is something that's obviously been several weeks, several months in the making. And obviously there's been a lot going on behind the scenes that, you know, most of us fans haven't been privy to no. that, that took place and, you know, has led to where we are right now. And now it's kind of that, it's that great unknown. Um, except it's the unknown unknown because we don't yeah. know what's coming next. We don't know who's coming next. We don't outside of, okay, John Schneider, have fun. Let's go. Let's right. see what you got. So, And as is often the case with stories like this, we start to find out more of the behind the scenes details, the farther away we get from the moment Ian Rappaport was uh, reporting last night that John Schneider has been preparing for this for a couple of months now um, that he could potentially see the, see the writing on the wall and was putting together lists of desired coaching candidates. And Corbin Smith said on the show yesterday, he had a feeling from some of his sources inside the building that things were brewing for a while. Um, and, and then it, to me, it just kind of felt his Monday press conference felt so uncomfortable in we've heard him make, we've heard him repeat himself. We've heard him make what, what are pretty easy to define as excuses for why the defense isn't getting better, for why they're still not running the ball better. I did a show a couple weeks ago where I went back three years and grabbed quotes from other times uh, talking about the same thing, and they were identical, you know? And, and, and so it did seem inevitable. To me, it was one of those things that I just wasn't going to believe it until I saw it. And then when it happens now, and you and I, I think, are kind of similar in this, we love the off-season stuff. We love roster construction and team building. Hey, there's my alarm reminding me that you and I have a show today. Um, <laughs> one of the many. Um, it, and, uh, and so you get excited, but then there's the unknown, as you mentioned, and that can be kind of scary. And what they do is going to depend, obviously, in large part on who they hire, what kind of schemes they run, what, where they believe the emphasis is, and also what John thinks, because 
you know, John and Pete may not have seen eye to eye on certain aspects of this roster. And we're going to find out a lot about that and what John's philosophies are and maybe where they differ with what Pete's were as we move forward. But it all comes down to money. And so I thought it was you and I had scheduled this before this news because I thought it was that important. There are things that need to be done on this roster, needed to be done even if Pete had stayed, and they're going to have to do some 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 pretty creative uh, payroll accounting to get that done. And so uh, it's just the the scope of that has changed and we can't, I, I don't want you to speculate on things based on uh, what you think will happen or might happen, but strictly where they start from. And that's where I want to begin. Where do they sit today? Because depending on where you look, right, which calculator you look at, which website you look at, who you listen to, uh, there is some discrepancy there. Where do they sit today heading into 2024 with their salary cap? You know, I'm not, as far as I'm concerned, the most reliable, most trustworthy, it's not going to be perfectly 100%, you know, on the dot accurate, but it's going to be 99% accurate. That's over the cap um, and over the cap.com. They've got them right now with 49 players under contract at four negative $4.7 million in cap space, basically. So they've got a, they're going to have to free up some room and that's before they even bother with filling out the roster. Um, you know, once you build out to to that, you know, to the level where you're at, 51 guys during the offseason, 53 guys during the regular season, practice squad, injured reserve pool on top of that, you know, obviously they're going to need more than, you know, 4.7 million of cap space freed up. But it's, you know, as of right now, today, you know, if the league year started tomorrow, they would need to free up about 4.7 million to be in compliance with the 2024 salary. Here's what confuses me about this. And I want some clarity from you, because as recently as a, a week ago, uh, looking on over the cap, which I prefer over some of the others as well, just because I like their formatting. It's just easier to read and understand. I think um, they were showing that the Seahawks finished the season with somewhere between four or five, five and a half million dollars. Now, then I saw the tweet a few days ago from Jason at over the cap that said they're going to enter next year about $6 million over the cap. I couldn't really reconcile that. Does that number you just gave us include rollover or has that accounting not been done yet? It does include rollover. Mm. And what it is, is that there's, it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's a little thing that happens usually the Monday after the season, but it's, it, it's a little thing, but it's one of those things that eats a lot of cap space. The first, and the, the, the other thing, two things, actually, the first is incentives. You know, at the end of the mm. season, we know who's getting paid. What we know who's, mm. you know, who's making who made touchdowns who made who scored who got yards bonus who got snaps played bonus those kind of things okay. so those get figured in it's usually a couple of million dollars you know here there nothing huge with the seahawks because they're not super incentive laden contracts typically the other big thing is and most people didn't even probably think about it monday afternoon the seahawks announced that they had signed i think it was seven players to futures contract yeah uh -huh. well, okay, futures contracts are no big deal but you know whatever they're rookie minimum salary guys not but in 2024 the minimum salary for a rookie is $795,000. Seven of those contracts is $5.6 million just gone, mm. you know, and it's not, not that it's evaporated. you got to fill out that roster spot eventually, but it's, you know, the, that's why you, you lose a lot of space like that. I think people don't catch on to it because it's like, Oh, I did look last week and last week they had, you know, 4 million of, positive space and now yeah. they're four million negative space what's going and it's it's a lot of that stuff it's signing guys for next year it's those incentives and it's because it goes very quickly you know when eight hundred thousand dollars is the minimum salary and is that because the league year doesn't technically start until march and so anything done right now still counts on 2023 
it doesn't. St- that's why they technically signed future contracts. Anything done right now, you know, if they sign an extension, that all goes on to 2024. Mm. Week 18, uh, Saturday, 4 p.m. Week 18 is the last time to do anything at all for an extension and put that on the salary cap for the 2023 league year. You know, we saw that a couple years ago with Michael Bennett. They extended him at the end of the year, um, you know, with so they could put part of his signing bonus on the on the cap that year. And then, the, you know, they obviously promptly traded him the next year. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, that's part of why they did it like that was so that they could put bury the bonus in a year that they had some cap instead of just rolling it over. But it was, yeah, that was last Saturday. But the reason they signed future contracts is because you can't sign anybody to a 2023 contract. There are no, there are no open roster spots. The roster's at 53. No. The, you know, they, they'll expand to 90 after the Super Bowl, but they sign them to a future contract. It, you know, matures into a full contract when the new league year starts. And that's it. Then they're under contract for 2024. Now, before we get into some of these, the details, players, actual numbers, when you heard the news that Carroll was not going to be involved, that John Schneider now for the first time in his 14 years as GM of the Seahawks is going to uh, assume total control of football operations, presumably will keep that. I don't see him bringing in someone now at this point that, that would demand having some of that control themselves. As someone who studies this and really has a passion for this, did you think that that maybe everything you knew about what they might do with the salary cap has now changed? That John, as much as those two always seem to be in lockstep, always seem to be on the same page, that maybe they didn't see eye to eye about certain players and certain contract structures, and we might see some things that we're not expecting over the next few months. No, absolutely. And I think it, it certainly changes the calculus. It certainly changes, you know, okay, we really need to look at who's coming in, who is going to be the next coach, who is, because just like you say, scheme fit, you know, philosophy fit, all those things are going to play a role in the coming weeks, the coming months in figuring out what they're going to do roster wise. And you have to figure the roster out first before you figure out the cap. Um, you know, because you can't, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to blow things up, let a bunch of guys go and then, not have a plan for the roster. It's, yeah. you know, you, you've got to figure out what you're going to do on one first, and then you can make it work with the salary cap. You know, obviously they're, you know, negative space, down space, got to create it, whatever. I mean, we've all watched the saints for the past few years. We've all watched right. the Rams the last yeah. couple of years. You can make it work. If you want to make it work, you know, John Schneider is not an idiot. Matt Thomas is not an idiot. They know what they're doing. They can, they'll manage the cap, but you know, they'll, they're not going to go out and, you know, go on a Saints style shopping spree. I don't think, but they you know, Fans shouldn't be concerned about, oh, okay, you know, we're out of cap room or whatever. They, they should be concerned, okay, you know, we don't want to mortgage the future too much or borrow too much against 2025 and 2026. But they will, they'll be fine. And just like you said, you know, figuring out the next step in the process before we get into anything is figuring out, you know, what are we doing next? Because are we going to, you know, keep a, a team? You know, what are we going to do on the offensive line? Damian Lewis, probably one of the best offensive linemen on the team, is a free agent. Evan Brown's mm-hmm. a free agent. Are we going to keep Andy Dixon? Are we going to keep a team that's looking to run a wide zone system? Are we going to keep a team that's going to run the West Coast offense, Shanahan-based ground game? What are we going to do? And it's all going to flow out of there. And there are a whole lot of decisions that need to be made in the next five weeks. But, you know, the Friday before the Super Bowl, there are a whole lot of, you know, there's tens of millions of dollars investing guarantees that they're going to need to figure out and have the new staff and the new coaching staff figure out what they're going to do in between now and then. I guess the good news for anyone coming in and taking over is this is one of the youngest rosters in the league. There are a lot of guys on rookie contracts that you don't need to worry about. You don't need to touch. Um, one of my first thoughts uh, before we get into some of these numbers was that um, thinking specifically about the defensive side of the ball, I think 
most people, most fans were most concerned about Jordan Brooks and Leonard Williams. You know, they gave up a ton to get Leonard Williams. We heard at the time that this is a guy that John Schneider's been interested in for years and has tried to get multiple times and that they probably were willing to give up a second round pick thinking that they were going to do everything they could to resign him. Jordan Brooks is also a free agent and uh, before his injury at the end of the year, seemed to be playing some of his best football and Pete Carroll was always very, very vocal about how much they wanted to commit to him long-term. But my first thought was, depending on scheme and whoever the defensive coach is, that in my mind, that shifted a little bit, that Leonard Williams is pretty much scheme versatile. I think any coach in the league would like to add him to their defense. He can do anything. Defensive coaches have different ideas about types of linebackers they want, and that suddenly Jordan Brooks may not be a priority anymore. Um, but we're going to get into, into how much flexibility they would have to bring some of those guys back. I want to start with this. When you look at where they sit going into 2024, um, salary cap hits, dead money, and potential savings, is there a group of players that you would start with that you would consider no-brainers? These guys just, their performance doesn't match, their cap hits, some some easy, and not to, not to demean any performance or potential from these players in using this term, but any fat that would be easy to trim right off the top. No, I think there's a couple players that definitely fall into that category. You know, um, Jamal Adams is obviously the first name that comes to mind, whether it's a post-June 1st release, whether it's an immediate release. Um, you know, I, I don't expect him to be back in 2024. Um, you know, obviously it's, you know, he was a fantastic player at times, um, but it just between injuries, you know, they're, they're not going to pay him $16.5 million to be a shell of his former self. It's yeah. that simple. Um, you know, so whether they save $10 million or $6 million or $16 million, depending on how they want to do it, it's just, that's going to be a matter of, you know, when and how, uh, then there are other players, you know, you've got some smaller moves, you know, my guess is Will Disley, um, you know, whether it's yeah. a, a release and then they, you know, they move on from him, give him a chance to, you know, test the market and get, you know, like John Schneider and Pete Carroll did in the past. I expect John Schneider to continue to do the same thing. Say, look, Will, look, we love you, you know, but we, we just, we've got to free up space. And, you know, it's just, you were, you were the number three tight end on the roster this year. Number three in snaps played for us. And we just can't have a $10 million cap hit for a tight end three, yeah. you know, go out, hit the market, tell us what you find, you know, and if, if it meets what we have available, we're absolutely happy to bring you back just like they've done in the past. But, you know, I, I think those are a couple of the easy ones. Obviously, Brian Monet. Yeah. You know, there's I, I love Monet's fantastic undrafted free agent story, but he didn't come back from a knee injury in 2020 that he suffered in 2022. You know, you, you don't pay six million dollars to a guy who didn't play a single snap, um, you know, and I, I, there'd be some injury guarantees associated with that um, potentially. But it's. I I just can't see him coming back, whether regardless of who's going to be on the coaching staff, because someone who didn't play last year is not going to get six million dollars in free agency. You know, this just it's yeah. it's the simple reality of what it is. And then there are a couple, you know, the the big thing for me, one of the big questions, and one of the things that immediately jumped into my mind. You know, I've been of the opinion, you know, Tyler Lockett is obviously he's getting he's not old, but he's getting up there in age for a wide receiver for. A, someone playing in the NFL. He got married last summer. You know, he's obviously started off on his, you know, started his, laid the foundation for his post football career in real estate. Yeah. I've kind of been of the expectation that he would retire after this season, um, you know, to begin with. And now it's kind of that question, you know, Carol 
you know, being let go, not being the coach anymore, kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, then obviously the new coach is going to come in, going to want to try and keep his best players, going to try and recruit Lockett to stay. But at the same time, it's, you know, Lockett and Quandre Diggs are very close friends. One of the questions that immediately popped into my head was, are both of them going to just retire? You know, mm-hmm. it's they, because depending on who comes in, and I don't think Schneider's going to go out and do something stupid like hiring Matt Patricia, but Diggs <laughs> played for Matt Patricia in Detroit. Diggs hated Matt Patricia. And I guarantee you, if they hire Matt Patricia, we will never hear from Quandre Diggs again. Like, it's just, you know, like it, it'll be the, the repeat of the Aaron Rodgers story. Oh, we were trying to call him. It's like, oh, I was in the middle of nowhere with, you know, I didn't have cell service. It's like Quandre will just block the Seahawks. Like it would just, you know, and so I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen, but it's just one of those things that, okay, you know, and cap wise, obviously, you know, Diggs and Lockett are a couple of the people, a couple of players who many fans have mentioned as potential cap casualties to free up the space that they'll need in order to operate and you know add the players and fill the holes that are going to be created on the roster for 2024. You know, Adams has been an ongoing storyline. It's an interesting one. And, and that's one that, that I, I think of uh, in terms of what what I just mentioned to you, that that he was clearly a favorite of Pete Carroll's. He even spoke glowingly about him again in his end of season coaches show that he's a guy that he's excited for him to rehab over the off season, come back next year. Um, it's long been thought by many that he was the driving force behind making the trade in the first place. Um, that may be one of those decisions when, you know, when we talk about John has different ideas. If you, if you did a post June one cap hit, just to, to let everybody know, um, according to over the cap, uh, there'd be about $10 million in dead cap uh, and a $16.5 million savings. And, and then, of course, some of that dead cap would be then pushed into 2025. Diggs is in the last year of his deal. That's what makes his different. And so there's no manipulation there. It would be an $11 million savings and about $10 million in dead cap. Uh, answer this, because I think this there's some misconception out there. Because I know in other sports, we've seen it happen in baseball. If someone retires before the end of their contract, you know, it's all guaranteed money there and they don't prorate signing bonuses. They just, hey, that's a bonus. That's a gift for the team because they just get all of that available payroll back. But if Tyler Lockett were to retire, um, it's a, they're, they're still, Seahawks are still on the hook for the, the dead money from his prorated signing bonus, right? Which right now would Correct. be almost $20 million of that $27 million cap hit would be dead money. They're not going to get that back. Uh, and they'd save about 7 million. That doesn't change whether it's his choice or theirs. Correct. It, I mean, technically, if you want to get into the letter of the law under the collective bargaining agreement, the Seahawks could demand repayment of the original signing bonus, uh, that was unearned. Could they now, settle they, that? Could they come to a, a mutual they can agreement? That. Yeah, they've done that. I mean, they've, you know, but it, they've, it, it'd be one of those things where, you know, with someone like Lockett, they're not looking to burn. Yeah, they're not going to Because do that's that. what the Lions did to Calvin Johnson. They're, and it's, and they, the Lions are still, you know, looked at poorly because of that. Right. You know, they, um, you know, what they would do is if, if Lockett does retire, you know, he's got about, it's 9.895 million per season in uh, signing bonus left to advertise. If he goes to the team and he says, look, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm married, first kids on the way or whatever. I've just made that up. I, I don't know if he has a kid no, on the way or no, not. We're not breaking news saying, here. You know, just, you know, just say, <laughs> yeah, I'm not breaking news. You know I'm something not, we don't, John? Not, not, yeah. <laughs> um, so the, um, you know, I hope he doesn't have a kid on the way because then he's going to be like, how does this guy know? <laughs> I mean, Who are your sources? Great. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, but what they would do is very similar to like what they did with Drew Brees in the past when this, he retired from the Saints. What they would do is if he goes to the team and he says, guys, I'm going I'm to retire. Like I've had a fantastic career, uh, but I'm not going to go in with a new coach. Like I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start all over day one of all over again. They would, what they would do is they'd renegotiate his contract. They would drop his 2024 base salary down to absolute league minimum for his experience, which I believe is 1.12 million, 1.15 million, something like that. So that it would instantly free up about $14 million in cap space. Hmm. And then they would just wait until June, release him officially on June 2nd. And then they don't have to do a post June 1st designation. It's just, they, they officially process the release in June. He goes off, he's done. Um, yeah, and then the cap hit gets broken up over the two seasons without having to use up one of their two post June first release designations. I'm a little disappointed. Of, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say one of the because one of the things is that with that, and this is something that needs to, you know fans need to keep in mind, especially when it comes to the Jamal Adams discussion. Um, you know, because I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, we cut cut Jamal Adams, make a post June first, sixteen million cap price freed up." Hey, that's it. We we go out and we you know we send our draft picks. That takes care of our rookies. You know, all that stuff. But the reality is, is that that money it does not come off the cap until June second. So if they they release him in mid-March, they release him on a post-June 1st designation, he's a free agent. He can go sign somewhere else. He can go sign a four-year, $70 million contract with the 49ers or the Rams or whoever. Um, but the Seahawks do not get the cap space back until June 2nd. Okay. So, And when, uh, when do they have to be fully compliant? It's not until a uh, week before the regular season. Is that correct? Yeah, the the fifty three man roster is the week before the regular season. Okay. Correct. It's the yeah, I think it's September fourth or something this year. Uh, I was going to say I'm a little disappointed that you didn't uh, mention one of my uh, long running frustrations with how they manage the salary on this roster. That cutting Nick Ballore would save them two point eight million dollars against the twenty twenty four cap and all of his contributions. You know, and I, I think it's just it's he's one of those guys where you you look at it and I know he's a lot of fans are like, well, let's just you know move on from him, move on from him. But at the end of the day, given the number of special team snaps he plays and the role he has in that special teams room, um, you know, he's certainly not. You know, I know it's like, all right, yeah, you know, let's let's put that money elsewhere. Um, you know, but it, it, it's going to come down to the, and this is this comes back to that you know that Pete question and you know yeah. where do they go what's the who's the next coach what's what are they going to do because one of the big things when you look at the roster construction from under pete they always seem to tend to have a veteran they liked it, it appeared like they always like to have a veteran they could have a completely young position group you know whether it's linebacker with brooks and barton or whatever but they always wanted that that Wagner when they had young DBs, they brought in digs when they had a, you know, a young offensive line, they went out and they got Dwayne Brown when they had young, you know, it's just, it, that's what it's always felt like. And maybe the next coach doesn't have that kind of philosophy. Maybe the next coach doesn't want, doesn't care for that veteran leader or just says, you know, let the young guys figure it out on their own. And, you know, in that case, it's like, I, you know, bye Nick, like, see ya, Um, you know, and you know, because it's, if the, a new coach comes in, new coach brings in his special teams guy, uh, you know, special teams coordinator, that special teams coordinator is going to bring in his special teams guy and very good chance. It's not going to be Nick Ballure, but if that's, so that's one of those that's going to come down to the coaching hire, you know, and Ballure will be basically, my guess is interviewing for his own position during the off season, during the, you know, between now and mid March when free agency starts, if that makes sense. Of course, if the Seahawks were to go out and make a, 
uh, a big swing and hired Jim Harbaugh, then suddenly Nick Ballore becomes a bargain at two point eight million because Jim Harbaugh is going to use a fullback. <laughs> there you go. But I would prefer that they convert Derek Young to fullback before they use Nick Ballore. There you Ballore. go. It's, yeah, a little younger, a little more athleticism. So or Levi, you can't. For, we can't for, forget about our boy Levi Bell either as a potential fullback. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the big issue, which and it's it's always going to be an issue no matter what the situation is, was going to be even if Pete stayed, uh, and that's Geno Smith's contract. And some people, depending on, you know, he's a very polarizing player, as mid-tier quarterbacks often are. I, I remember I, I fought this fight with my father for 10 years. He hated Matt Hasselbeck. I love Matt Hasselbeck. Autograph ball back there. Um, uh, my argument was always, you know, the guys in the league who are better than he is, you cannot acquire. And the risk of trying to get a rookie, they're hard to find. So that's how I feel about Geno. He's a very, very good quarterback. And it gives you some flexibility. So his detractors would say that his contract is an albatross. And it's it's uh, a cap hit potentially as much as $31 million next year that doesn't make any sense. I look at the way his contract's structured and I see it as opportunity. There's a lot of flexibility it affords the team. Um, there's been a lot of reporting over the last week about some incentives he didn't make and how that impacts his contract. Give us a little bit of a primer for those listening of just kind of how Gino's contract is structured heading into year two. So there's basically three parts of it that the fans need to be aware of. The first part is his signing bonus. He's got 16 point, or excuse me, $17.4 million of signing bonus left. Half of that in 2024, half of that in 2025. So it's $8.7 million that will be on the books this year. $8.7 million that will be on the books in 2025, unless they move on and then it could potentially be on the books in 2024. Um, but either way, that's $17.4 million that will hit the cap at some point. The second big thing is that, and this is what's coming up in the next five weeks. This is one of yeah. those things where it's going to be, that's going to make things interesting is his base salary. He does have a $12.7 million base salary for 2024. That is right now full uh, guaranteed for injury. However, the Friday after the Super Bowl, if he's on the roster after 4 PM, the Thursday after the Super Bowl, he will, that will become fully guaranteed and he will make that money. Um, and whether it's from the Seahawks, whether it's from another team, that is, you know, that's his full guarantee. And then he's got a roster bonus, $9.6 million. That is due in March, just after the start of the new league year, mm. um, you know, right after free agency starts. What that, what that, the way that's structured is, you know, and he's got two years of, of relatively good performance. I mean, strong performance as a starting quarterback behind a very young and experienced offensive line where he's put together a lot of tape and a lot of things where, you know, a lot of people have been very impressed with what he's done. And that could make him a very attractive option, not necessarily, I mean, it could make him a very attractive op option to whoever comes in as the new head coach. If they hire an offensive minded head coach, it doesn't really matter what kind of system their guy's going to run because Gene knows you know he's played in the west coast offense he's played in the uh, Earhart perkins offense and he's played in the air core yell i mean those are the three basic offensive systems in the nfl he's played in all of them he's got experience in all of them and you know he can be a you know that bridge quarterback for a coach who comes in yeah. if on the other side the coach comes in and says you know what let's blow it up we're building from scratch you know we cap situation's ugly we're going to move on we're going to clear the deck sink the titanic and you know build from nothing gino's got a contract where he, it, they can trade him and he would only have a $22.6 million cap hit for an acquiring team. You know, is that a super attractive contract? You know, it's certainly not a rookie contract. It's not, you know, a four or $5 million cap hit of a 
quarterback on a first round pick. But that's a cap hit that if you're the GM in Atlanta or you're somewhere else, you know, you're a GM in Chicago and you're saying, you know what, I need a quarterback who's going to save my job so I can keep making a couple million dollars a year for the next three or four years. Let me send, you know, a couple of mid-round picks or something for Geno to Seattle. And if they bite, they bite. And if they don't, they don't. You know, if if, if you need a quarterback who can get you to nine and eight, which obviously Geno can, then it's an attract. He's an attractive option. Um, you know, whether you think, you know, whether somebody thinks that he can take a team to the Super Bowl or not, you know, I think he could with a supporting cast around him, you know, if he didn't have the number 30 ranked defense or whatever they finished this year. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, they they would, would have, could have, should have been a lot better, should have had a lot better record, all of that. But Gino, whether it's for the Seahawks and the new coach, whether it's for, you know, another team, he he could be a very attractive option. I, I don't think they're going to get two firsts and two seconds for him if they do trade him, if they do move him. But with his contract, with the, you know, the way that everything is set up, he, I would not be surprised if if he were traded. Hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be probably storyline B of this offseason, I would think. Obviously, number one is who, who's the head coach, and then B is what he wants to do at the quarterback position. Um, when you look at the the entire scope of everything you just talked about and you, and you look at the, the the whole spreadsheet if it were in a in a reasonable manner give me a number of how much money you think the Seahawks could come up with tomorrow if they made a number you know the moves that you think are obvious and reasonable give the fans some hope of how much they could free up if they wanted to they can easily free up, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of $50 million, you know, whether it's 40, whether it's 60, whatever it's it, it, the blink of a hat, you know, even if it's just a matter of, you know, adding voyeur years on the back of Diggs's deal or, you know, doing some base salary to come signing bonus conversions for Tyler Lockett and a couple of the other players on the roster, they can free up the cap space. That's not an issue. They, you know, they fans shouldn't be worried about, Oh, you know, we, like I said before, our cap space is, situation is dire. The cap situation is not great. It's not fantastic. But if you get a new coach who comes in who say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to tear it down to the bones. I'm an offensive coach. I don't care about this defense. Let's blow this up. You know, let's move on from some of these expensive pieces. Let's have a fire sale on some of these, you know, more expensive pieces. I mean, they could realistically have a significant amount of cap space that they could roll over into 2025 if they wanted to roll with an extremely young and experienced roster. You know, it's just, it's all going to come down to, just like you said, the way you opened up the show, what's going to happen? What's going to be the strategy? What's going to be the process? We have no idea because we don't even know who's going to be putting together that strategy that, you know, the process, all of that is, you know, like, just like you said, you know, we knew, we know what Carol likes. We know what Carol does. We know the systems. We know his processes. We know what the, he's going to look for. We don't know the systems and processes of the new guy. Cause we don't even know who is the new guy. So, and we don't even, you know, we don't yet know how differently, if at all, John Schneider is going to operate without Pete Carroll's influence. That's, you know, everything as I look for, you know, I'm a big draft nerd. And as I look ahead to that process, Everything that I thought I had learned over the last 14 years about what the Seahawks might be looking for in the draft and some of their tendencies might well be out the window because, you know, we're going to find out potentially how much John and uh, or Pete differed or John Pete, excuse me, John differed from Pete philosophically when it comes to acquiring (laughs) talent Um, to get off the numbers for a moment. 
Uh, just just to tie a bow on that, then, if fans are concerned, if a coach comes in, especially, I would think this would be a scenario, if Dan Quinn were hired, he would probably want uh, think that he can win with this roster right away. And, and I would think of some of the candidates out there, he might be more inclined to lean towards continuity, that... If, if the Seahawks want to give Leonard Williams a competitive bid in free agency and bring him back and bring back Jordan Brooks, they can do it. Yeah, you can get done whatever you want to get done. It's just how creative do you have to get to do it? And that's, you know, it's they, if they need to fit pieces into the puzzle, they'll figure out how to do it. They've got the guys, you know, they're not idiots. You know, we might yeah. make fun of them. We might say, oh, this is a dumb move. This is, you know, I can't believe they did this. But at the end of the day, they're, they're, you know, they know what they're doing and they can make it work. You know, they've they've been fitting things in and squeezing, you know, deals together. I mean, see, you know, they've come up with a deferred roster bonus for Bobby Wagner on his 2015 extension because they didn't have the cap space to give him a signing bonus because they'd used up all the cap space, giving Russell Wilson his mega uh, signing bonus back then. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just they're they're going to they'll they'll figure all figure it out, figure it out. You know, it's, it's a whole lot of moving pieces. They'll fit them in one at a time and put it all together. It's not something that, you know, should be, your fans should worry too much about, um, you know, Williams, obviously, I don't think he's going to be crazy expensive. I don't think he'll be obviously though on, a, I don't think he's going to sign for anywhere super cheap though. Um, yeah. at the same time. And I, I, you know, I, I think just to touch on that point, you said, you know, I think if they do bring in a defensive coach, someone like a Dan Quinn or whoever, you know, I would not be surprised to see continuity. I, I would see. I would think that there would be bigger changes. You know, if they bring in an offensive coach, yeah. because if you're an offensive coach and you're coming into a roster and you've got one of the most expensive defenses in the entire NFL, and it's one of the worst performing defenses in the NFL, it, there's no way I'm spending that mon- kind of money on. You know, it's like kind of like the Rams did this year. It's like, all right, we all. We're going to go all young on defense. If they're horrible, they're horrible. If they're good, they're good. And we're going to put all our assets into offense. And I think if they hire an offensive-minded coach, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. Um, you know, versus just like you said with Quinn, if they hire a defensive-minded guy, you know, who thinks, okay, you know what, I've got these pieces. Let me go ahead and you know rearrange the things a little bit, tweak this, do that, and then we can go ahead and we can get you know get some better performance out of some guys who are underperforming. Yeah. Uh, a quick peek around the division. Um, not going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. We know that they're moving forward. They, they, <laughs> they strip things down and it's a young roster. They're they're without having looked at their spreadsheet myself, I would imagine they're in pretty good shape salary cap wise moving forward long-term. Uh, we know that the Rams have kind of entered head first into salary cap hell and, and, and are digging out of that now with some of their choices to go with so many rookies this year. What about the San Francisco 49ers? I know fans over and over this year just were up in arms that they were able to keep adding players throughout the year. They're able to go out. They're able to sign Javon Hargrave, even though they already have some big contracts on defense. They were able to go out at the deadline and get Chase Young. And then they add guys late in the year, like Sebastian Joseph Day and guys, everybody that was waived as a defensive player around the rest of the league, they seem to pick up. They give Christian McCaffrey a massive, or they're paying his massive extension. Uh, granted, they have the advantage of a, of a starting quarterback on a rookie deal, but how does their uh, salary cap look over the next couple of years? 
you know, they're they're an interesting team because a lot of people were looking at the, the 49ers this year and saying, oh, you know, they have a ton of cap space available this year. You know, they, well, the reason they have a ton of cap space available, in, had a ton of cap space available in 2023 was because they simply pushed all that money out into the future. Um, you know, they've got guys that they, you know, much like the Rams, you know, bought in and said, you know what, look, let's let's go for broke. Let's make it happen. Let's go out and let's get Von Miller. Let's go out and get guys that are going to bring a Super Bowl to L.A. They went out, they did it. And. Now we see this year, you know, they blew everything up on the defensive side of the ball, moved on from Ramsey, moved on from, um, you know, a lot of the more expensive players and, you know, let the youth play out and then just said, you know, what, we're just going to have to outscore some guys. The Niners are in the boat where they're still pushing money out into the future. They're still, you know, they've got a whole bunch of levers. They've got Trent Williams with a $20 million base salary. And obviously Trent Williams is fantastic. He's a phenomenal left tackle, but he's not young. Right. So the question becomes, you know, how much, how much money and how much into the future do you want to push it, push things out? Um, same thing, Eric Armstead, Debo Samuel, Fred Warner, all of these guys are guys that they could, you know, move. 10, 12, 15 million dollars out into the future without too much trouble, free up a ton of cap space. So the Niners are the Niners are in that situation that the Rams were a couple of years ago, where they've got they've got the roster, they've got the guys to compete. They're in their window at their peak. The question becomes, okay, you know, how much how much of the future do they want to put down or how much of this year do they want to put on a credit card on 2025 and 2026 Mm. in order to stay competitive in 2024? My guess is as long as things, you know, as long as they continue to get the results like they've, like we saw this season or it's similar to what we saw this season, that they'll just continue to keep putting things on the credit card, keep pushing things out and may remain competitive as long as they can, you know, as much as it pains me to say that. Um, but they, they do have a very talented roster and then they've got, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're they're in a beautiful you know situation. You know, you look at them in like say 2025, 2026, they're running out of cap space in 2024, 2025, 2026, just because of how much money they've already pushed out in the future. They're not quite to where the Saints are yet, yeah. but they're you know they're just like we saw with Dallas a decade ago. You know, they had to bite the bullet when Tony Romo retired, um, and it took them a couple of seasons to readjust things. You. You know, they're the Niners are in a similar situation, and hopefully they'll come out of that situation the same way the Cowboys came out without any Super Bowl titles. So <laughs> right, and 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 that's an interesting timeline because twenty five, twenty six. That's when they're going to have to pay their quarterback. And so you exactly. know, yeah. Um, let me do this final question for you. Let's get away from the numbers for a moment. Um, who are some of the guys that y- you have your eye on that um, that are sort of your favorites, if you will? as potential successors to Pete Carroll? You know, I really don't have any idea. I mean, it's just, it, I'm, I'm more of a, you know, I, I know everybody's got their favorite. We think of Ben Johnson's been mentioned. Dan Quinn's yeah. been mentioned a million times, you know, but it's like, you know what? I don't know enough about the assistant coaches. I don't know enough. You know, I, I, I know what the performance of the coordinators were, but I don't know enough about what the Lions did schematically, specifically, in order to know whether or not Ben Johnson's going to translate into a successful head coach or not. And, it, you know, I would just be pulling names out of a hat, you know, as, yeah. as simple as it sounds, um, you know, the like we, we talked about earlier, the offseason, the salary cap, those are my wheelhouses. Those are my area, you know, where I excel, you know, Knowing you know what, what the run pass splits of a, the offensive coordinator from somebody from the a- NFC South is yeah. going to be, 
sorry, you know, like that's, <laughs> yeah, I don't, not, not to blow off your question or give you a non-answer, but it's just, no, it's you know, it, all I, all I would be doing is parroting the names that you've read a dozen times elsewhere on yeah. Twitter. So, yeah. And really that's all any of us are doing. I, I mentioned on the show yesterday, like there's, there's guys that you can research or look into and, and then you read all the other lists and what other people say about who the hot candidates are and you can kind of get your favorite. But, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, like none of us know what kind of leaders these guys are. None of us know, um, you know, how they command a room in private meetings or position group meetings or how they're going to perform in the interview process, you know? So we really don't know. And then, you know, you can pick your favorite guy, but it's about who he's going to bring with him too. Like everybody loves the idea of Ben Johnson because what he's done with that offense in Detroit, who's this defensive coordinator going to be? Because that's the biggest problem is we have to fix that defense. Right. And so, okay, well then bring Dan Quinn in, right. Or bring Mike McDonald in from the Ravens. He's kind of a favorite name out there uh, gaining a lot of steam. Okay. Well, who's going to be, who's going to call the place for him? Who's going to coordinate the offense? Cause there's a lot of weapons there and you don't want those to go to waste. So it's going to be a fascinating, uh, month or so, uh, as soon as we get done here, I'm going to, I'm going to look back over some historical timelines because it occurred to me this morning that I don't recall exactly how long it took after Jim Moore was fired and Pete Carroll was hired. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine this morning about, um, about 48 hours just cause I was researching it. The other oh, day. you did. And what date was that? Was that late January? I, I did it go into February? Well, I, I did a quick, I did a quick, it was, I want to say it was January 8th off the top of my head. I could be wrong. January 8th, I believe, was the date that it was that Mora was on the, the mm. article that Mora had been fired. And it was January 10th or January 11th that Carol was being introduced or announced as the head coach. And none um, of us saw that coming. That's mm. that's another point I was going to make. I was talking to a buddy of mine this morning about like, how come, you know, here it's been 24 hours. How come we haven't heard any uh, official reporting about interview requests? You know, first of all, that as much as those things will leak out at some point, the Seahawks are better than most organizations about keeping that stuff hush hush. Yeah. And in case in point, Pete Carroll, none of us saw that coming. None of us knew he was interviewing. None of us knew he was interested or that that was the direction they were looking to go. It caught us all by surprise. Um, it's, it's a different world out there now. <laughs> Information travels a lot faster. It, it is. I don't yeah. see us getting blindsided by a similar move. I guess the equivalent of that would be if they, you know, there's people here in the Pacific Northwest that are in favor of, of maybe look at Kalen DeBoer from UW, but we've all considered that. And so I don't think it would be a surprise, but uh, I know I'll be setting earlier alarms these days, reaching for my phone and, and logging onto Twitter immediately. <laughs> Just checking. Yep. Try hope, hopefully we, you know, don't miss any big news. Well, I appreciate it, John, as always giving us, um, you know, just conceptually some of the things this, uh, this Seahawks team can do. And, and I think it should alleviate any doubts that based on the numbers you gave us and depending obviously on, on who a new coach would want to keep that not only can the Seahawks keep this roster intact for the most part, at least the parts they want to keep intact. Um, but they could go out and acquire players from, from outside, right? It's all, it's all about how you structure a deal and it's all about how you put that together. Absolutely. And especially, you know, any new coach is going to want a couple of his guys. He's going to want people mm -hmm. familiar with his scheme, his system. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I will not be surprised at all if there's significant roster turnover, you know, at the, at the positions that are already set to turnover, you know, the, nobody's moving on from Devin Witherspoon. Nobody's moving on right. from the young talent. You know, Charles Cross has probably got a job as a starting left tackle next year, but it's going to be, you know, they're, they're going to that left guard spot, the center spot, you know, the positions that have, we don't know about right tackle. Better. Yeah. There's yeah. yeah. You know, those are, those are going to be the questions that, you know, we'll get, we'll get some glimpses into, you know, 
what they're going to do when we when they speak at the combine, see who they meet with, all of those, you know, who are they going to have their top 30 visits with, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're all going to be flying blind come March, you yeah, know, all absolutely. of us, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's so it is, it, you know, it's, it's frustrating because you don't know what to expect, but at the same time, it's, it's like, all right, what do you got? Let's see this. Let's show yeah. us what you got. Let's do it. Absolutely. And, and for the first time in a few years, I don't think it's in, insignificant to point out that the Seahawks can be a, a little bit more aggressive probably in what they do in the off season because they don't have to reserve as much money uh, for the draft this year. They don't have two first round picks. They don't have two second round picks. They have no second round pick. And so, you know, that frees up, frees up some money as well. We they can talk about 2021 draftees that need to be extended. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's a conversation for another day. Uh, John, th thanks for taking the time. Always great to have you on the show. Um, let people know uh, how they can follow you. Uh, at John P. Gilbert NFL on Twitter, you know, and my work on field goals is always there. So. All right. Thanks again, John. We'll talk to you soon. Great to be on. Thanks for. All right. So how do you feel now? Uh, do you feel good about where the Seahawks are contract wise, salary cap wise heading into next season? Um, I've played around with these numbers too and, and continue to do so. Uh, spent a lot of time on over the cap last night playing with their cap calculator. Um, you can do it as well. It is free. Uh, no subscription necessary to do that on overthecap.com. And uh, I was able to come up with a similar number, 50-ish, up to $60 million without even touching Geno Smith's contract. So we're going to know a lot more about what their intentions are and what they might do, what some of their priorities are with certain aspects of the roster once we know who the head coach is and who the staff is. And John and I will reconvene in February after some of those dates have gone by, some of those guarantees have kicked in, and uh, we get a picture of what kind of schemes we're talking about um, and some, some big moves may be made by then. Of course, Geno Smith, that decision coming on February 16th, as he said, so uh, we'll have him back on the show then. Uh, again, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Like and subscribe. Like this video. Subscribe to the channel. A lot more coming up. If you saw my tweet last night, some really, really great guests coming up next week. Just a little bit of a hint. The guys from the, the Seattle Overload podcast, Maddie Brown and uh, Griffin Sturgeon, are going to join me Monday. I'm going to hop on with the guys from uh, the Seahawks Playbook podcast, Bill Alfstad and Keith Myers on Monday. And we're going to do kind of a simulcast. I'm going to take that same uh, material and post it on this channel. Uh, Rob Staten coming up in the near future. I've got some really cool guests on the way soon, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and of course, if there's any breaking news, any big coaching uh, decisions made, um, any player moves, you know where to turn. I'll hop on as, as quickly as I'm able afterwards to respond to that. Thanks again, everybody, for watching. Appreciate the support. I am Dan Viennes. Forever and always, go Hawks.